Former Missouri Supreme Court Judge Ray Price has charted a long and distinguished career in public service. And after a few years out of the arena, Price is back in the public spotlight as the new chairman of the St. Louis County Board of Police Commissioners. Price joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about his judicial career and his philosophical approach to serving on the board overseeing the St. Louis County Police Department. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Julie O'Donoghue, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason Rosenbaum. And we have the newly elected chairman of the St. Louis County Police Board, Judge Ray Price, with us today. How are you doing? I am fine, thank you. (laughs) I'm super excited about this show for a lot of reasons. Not only because the police board is very interesting right now, but this is the first time we've ever had somebody who served on the Missouri Supreme Court on this podcast. And I, 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 you could, you could, you can't see me right now, but I'm bursting with excitement about this. <laughs> yes, uh, we know people are interested in hearing about Judge Price's uh, views and the new makeup of the St. Louis County Police Board, but we actually want to talk to him first about some of the other things he's done in Missouri. So I was wondering if you could give us kind of a little bit of a synopsis or a bio of what you've done up until this point. Well, I started my career in Kansas City. While I was there, I was a lawyer, of course, but I served uh, on the police board in Kansas City for about eight years and three or so years as president of that police board. I was on the board of our public hospital, the Truman Medical Center. Uh, From there, I went to Jefferson City, became a member of the Missouri Supreme Court, where I served two terms as chief justice. Uh, Then, uh, when I retired from the court, I came to Armstrong Teasdale in St. Louis, and this is uh, my first opportunity to return to public service. As I mentioned in my very excited intro, Mm -hmm. um, you were a member of the Missouri Supreme Court for a pretty long time. 20 years. 20 20 years. That had to be one of the longer tenures on the court. It It is, yeah. If you could walk through our listeners, like, what it's like to serve on the Missouri Supreme Court, I think that would be kind of an interesting purview into a very important institution, but one that isn't, I think, as widely known as, say, governor or speaker of the House or something like that. Well, we're not nearly so glamorous. You know, we're, <laughs> we're, uh, we go to a little building that very few people come to and do our work and write written opinions. Uh, it's a great honor to be on the court. And if you're a lawyer, it's an, a, a, a wonderful thing. Really what it is is it's a chronic challenge over time to try and address each case that comes to you uh, as if that's the most important case in the world because it certainly is for the people who are involved in that case. Uh, to learn the facts, to research the law, and then try to write an opinion that ordinary people will read and understand and have an idea why the court ruled the way it did. 
you were appointed by Governor John Ashcroft. John Ashcroft, that's correct. And I think for a lot of people uh, who don't follow, especially Missouri judicial stuff carefully, they may just assume that since you were appointed by a Republican judge that you have conservative views and are just going to vote with all the other Republican appointees, which is not the case on the Missouri Supreme Court. It's very difficult to find like a predictable voting block because it seems like it's a case by case thing rather than I'm going to rule on this in a quote liberal or conservative way. Am I totally bonkers on that or is that a fair observation? I think that's very fair. Uh, All the judges on the court come from their own backgrounds. They grew up on farms in the cities. Uh, 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 They're white. They're African-American. They're men. They're women. They have different experiences in life. Those experiences shape them. I don't think any judge comes to the court to rule as a Democrat or a Republican, but they come to make their decisions as best they can in light of their own life experiences. I would say, unfortunately, the U.S. Supreme Court has come under more public scrutiny and and maybe public pressure. Maybe they don't feel it. I'm not really sure because I'm not on the U.S. Supreme Court. But I was wondering if you feel like when you were on the Missouri Supreme Court, whether you felt any like public or political pressure uh, regarding cases that you were considering. Everybody pressures you. (laughs) I mean, and it's not just political pressure. Everyone with a point of view wants a decision that favors their point of view. Uh, You know, as a judge, uh, people are your friends uh, as long as they liked your last opinion. And they may be your friends again if they like your next opinion. But but part of the – part of what you have to get used to as a judge is everybody's going to want a decision to come out one way or the other. But you have to – quietly do the right thing regardless of what the pressure is. So you're living in Jefferson City or you're in Jefferson City. Is this like something, do people come up to you like in the grocery store and at the coffee shop? Because it's not a very big place and I suspect a lot of people know who you who you are. Well, really, my wife was the one they recognized more. She taught school in middle school. So <laughs> when we went to the grocery store, all the kids had come up, Ms. Price, Mrs. Price. Very few came up and said, Justice Price. <laughs> One of the cases that I found interesting, we were talking about this before the show, is your dissent on the 2011 congressional maps. And there was a lawsuit over whether or not that those districts were compact and contiguous. They were arguing, especially uh, Emanuel Cleaver's district in the 5th in, in the Kansas City area was not contiguous because it featured some very strange drawings. And you had a very interesting dissent where you ended it by saying uh, the compact and contiguous requirements should be enforced, not finessed in deference to an obvious legislative shenanigan. Not shenanigans, shenanigan. I thought that was like one of the best written things I've ever seen in a case. I know that you probably will attribute that to like your law clerk or something like that. No, those words you choose carefully. Um, uh, Although perhaps I was... uh, I was too little, uh, lighthearted in the use of that word. But, but my point was, uh, in redrawing those maps, polit- uh, politicians have all kinds of pressures. And they try to get the votes however they can. That particular map favored one Republican and a Democrat. So it was bipartisan in that sense. It, it was not 
uh, drawn for one party or the other, but to favor two sitting politicians. And I think that was just as much of a problem as anything else because the map compact and contiguous means the lines ought to be sensible, not uh, squiggly. What One of the things that I think plays a big role in who gets to the Supreme Court, and, and by saying it plays a big role, it's kind of understanding thing, is the way the judges for the Missouri Supreme Court are selected through the what's called the nonpartisan court plan. And for our listeners, unlike, say, the presidency, where the president appoints a judge and the Senate confirms, what happens with the nonpartisan court plan is people apply. Um, the, this commission that is appointed over time by governors, it's staggered terms. I think it's six years, six year terms. Yes, yeah, six the, years terms for the, the appellate judicial commission. Uh, select three candidates. They present the candidates to the governor. The governor chooses somebody. And this is not a universally popular system, but on the other hand, a, a lot of people within the legal community are very protective of the nonpartisan court plan. I want you to kind of explain why that is and what you think the benefits of that is, because there have been attempts to change it. They have not been successful, and a lot of people like like the way Missouri chooses its higher judges. Yeah, I, I, I'm a product of the nonpartisan plan, and I've always defended it. Uh, what you want to do, you talked before just a bit about people pressuring judges to rule one way or the other. What you want to do is insulate the judge as much as possible from those pressures. You don't want a judge being appointed thinking he's a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative or that I'm here for these people but not for those people. Uh, so the, the plan by using lawyers, citizens first to select the candidates is one to moderate all of those influences yet still allow for common sense and popular involvement, involvement by the people. And then the governor gets to make the pick, which is a political uh, choice there. So, it, so it's a process to moderate all the pressures that go on the judge. And, and you might not be completely satisfied with it at any given time, but overall, uh, it has served Missouri well, and I think it is the best way to do judges. Are there any ways you think the process could be uh, improved or changed? Yeah, certainly. There are probably a thousand ways it could be improved. And I'm not opposed to looking at different ways to make it uh, broader, more representative of all the people in Missouri. Uh, But no one has come forward with a way that works yet. And I was just actually Googling something about one issue that I I found with the last slate of applicants. And that is like there were a couple of African-American applicants, but it was overwhelmingly white judicial applicants. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. Like, for example, if you are an African-American attorney in private practice, you would probably be taking a pay cut to become a judge. Um, And but I also think that that's generally like one of the shortcomings is that there's not enough like diversity of gender and race sometimes, especially with Missouri Supreme Court judges. Is there any way to fix that? Or does that just require like maybe internal internal processes within the legal community to encourage more diverse applicants for these type of positions? It's really not different than any other uh, area 
in our society. You know, if you look at leadership in a number of different areas, in business, in, in uh, other areas of public life, uh, certain groups are underrepresented. So everybody is fighting to, to be available for all people to have a future. Right now, our Chief Justice, George Draper, is an African-American, wonderful example, great lawyer, great man, and a good example. We've had Ronnie White, who was Chief Justice, another uh, great man, good person, good judge. So uh, we are open to that. The plan works for that. But like uh, all the other areas of leadership in life, we are continually challenged uh, to allow all people to be represented. And just to probably put a more uh, fine point on what I was just saying, in the last Missouri Supreme Court vacancy, there were 31 applicants, only two were women, and only one was African-American. And it it was also one of the women. So I think that that's probably one thing that a lot of people agree probably could be improved. But I think that there's not really like a systematic way to compel people to apply for a job that they don't want to do. Yeah. Well, and there's no, no single button that you can push that automatically makes things perfect. Yeah. That doesn't happen. But it is something that you have to work at over time. I think actually we're at the point where we have to take a break to hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about some criminal justice reform matters in addition to your new role on the police board. And we're back with St. Louis County Police Board Chairman Ray Price, who was also on the Missouri Supreme Court. So, Judge Price, you've been very outspoken about being in favor of of criminal justice reform measures. Initially, I just want to ask you what that means to you. Can you explain kind of to you what, what you consider criminal justice reform? It's approaching criminal law in a way that really looks at what will make our cities and, and communities safer, what works in terms of reducing crime, generally, that is rehabilitating people who are accused of crimes as opposed to punishing them. There has to be an element of punishment. Don't misunderstand me. Certainly for violent crime, you have to protect the community from those people, and that generally means incarcerating them. But for non-violent crime, uh, we have to face the fact that incarceration is very uh, inefficient and unproductive. We have about a 50 percent recidivism rate. That is, half the people that go to jail and are let go come back to jail. That is, they continue to commit crimes. That means we're not making them better. We're not making the community safer. Uh, Another way to approach these things... uh, are programs like drug courts that I was very involved with, where we focus on treating the individual, helping the person overcome their problems, making them productive again. Just as an example, in drug courts, our recidivism rate was only 10%, not 50, 10%. It was far less expensive, whereas it costs between $25,000 and $30,000 a year to put somebody in prison. It only takes eight to $10,000 a year to treat them and then you get a much better result. So that was one of my focuses, that that would make our our cities and communities safer and better, Uh, not just an expensive, tough-on-crime approach 
that didn't work. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners know what drug courts are, but if you could explain, like, if you go through that process, what, what exactly happened? Yeah, what drug courts are, when a person's been arrested or, or charged with a crime because of or where drug, court, or drug use was involved, instead of incarcerating that person, the person is given intensive treatment. And when I say intensive treatment, I mean this is very difficult for the person to get through. For the first month or so, every night, they're required to go to training, they're required to go to schooling, they're required to go to treatment. They report to the judge at first once a week, then once a month. So there's this intense supervision making sure the person gets off drugs that generally were the cause of the person's problems. Then the person has to get a job, have to f- we have to find a place for them to live and integrate them back into the community into a productive way, uh, not a way that cripples the person from any productive use for the rest of his life. So that's the focus of drug court. We've been very successful with those in Missouri. Do you come into or out of law school thinking thinking that way? Was there an evolution, any sort of like light bulb moment? No, I certainly didn't come out of law school thinking that way. Like most young lawyers, I was just looking for a job, trying to make a living for my family. Uh, it was a, a, a product of working with the Kansas City Police Department, seeing that drugs were the single biggest factor in causing crime, seeing that all of our efforts to combat drugs uh, on the supply side really didn't work very well because there was always somebody new to sell drugs. And then coming to the conclusion that if we were going to make a difference, we had to work on the demand side, on the people side, and try and rehabilitate those who, uh, who drugs were ruining their lives. Yeah, we should say, I think you were on the Kansas City Police Board in the 1980s, right? Yes. So, so it would have been 80s, during the, the crack epidemic? or, mm-hmm. or Okay. Yes, it was. And, and I mean, one of the things we did in Kansas City, we uh, focused on taking down a drug house a day. At that time, they sold drugs out of houses. And, and we would take down one a day, and we did it. It didn't reduce the number of drugs. Uh, the criminals went from selling drugs from houses to cars. When we started taking their cars, they went to sidewalks and sold them on the corners. So th- right then you're starting to see the problem, the problem cannot be resolved through simple law enforcement. It has to be resolved on cutting down the demand for drugs. It's become kind of in vogue to be into criminal justice reform. Um, Jared Kushner is a big proponent. In fairness, he has a family member who went to prison, so maybe that influences him. But I know I come from Louisiana. It's become like all the rage there. I I think in fairness, the Koch brothers have something to do with this because they've poured a lot of money into education and lobbying um, uh, efforts. But it sounds like you were kind of ahead of the curve. What do you think, why do you think people have kind of come around to thinking that we need to look at criminal justice issues differently, whether it's sentencing or bail? I mean, there's there's just a lot of sort of um, energy behind those movements. We spent a couple of decades trying to be tough on crime and crush it out. What we learned was that that didn't work. It sounded good. It was great rhetoric, but it didn't work. Now we have to be smart on crime 
And a lot of the people who are really serious have learned that. And, and they've learned it from the very conservative side of Republican politics to the very liberal side of Democratic politics. It's something we can all get together on and uh, try and move forward in a way that's better for our communities. I think that's a good segue of why I guess we brought you on the show in the first place, although this, <laughs> this preamble has been just fantastic. Um, you were appointed by County Executive Sam Page to be on the St. Louis County Police Board. As many of our listeners know, this police board has been under fire because of a nearly $20 million verdict given to a St. Louis po- County police officer who was awarded that money because the jury agreed that he was discriminated against. Just for our listeners, we're probably not going to talk a lot about that because it's still under litigation right now. But that was clearly the catalyst behind reshaping the police board, and you're part of that. I, I want to ask you, like, how did it come about that you're serving on another police board except in another jurisdiction in Missouri? Well, uh, I had known uh, County Executive Page when he was in the legislature in Jefferson City. Uh, we'd touched uh, paths uh, occasionally. Uh, I have a great deal of respect for him. I think he's a smart, thoughtful person who tries to do what's right. I've known people on his staff, and uh, actually they approached me before the verdict. Mm. So uh, uh, this wasn't just a reaction to that. That certainly has made things more complicated. Oh, that's interesting. So you were approached to be on the police board before the verdict came down. Yes. Because as Jason alluded to, I think a lot of people think that four out of the five members have been replaced now, that this just all happened sort of in reaction to the verdict. And, I, and it possibly it was, but I also think in fairness to County Executive Page, like all the members are serving on expired terms and he's the county executive and a prior county executive who is currently incarcerated appointed some of those people and they have very different philosophies about how they want the police department to be run. So it's kind of County Executive Page purview to do this regardless of outside influences basically. Uh, yeah. I, part of this is reactive, I would suspect. I mean, I, I, I am not in his mind. I, I don't know. But I think the other part was proactive, that he wanted to put his mark on the police board irrespective of that verdict. So I'm going to play a clip now from uh, one of your new colleagues, Dr. Lori Punch, a surgeon from Ferguson. And this was during her confirmation hearing when she was being questioned by Councilman Tim Fitch about her philosophy going into this very important position. This is Dr. Lori Punch. So are you a sledgehammer? Are you someone that wants to improve what's going on in the police department? It's interesting because the word sledgehammer aligns with one of my identities, which is punch love, which is the idea that love is a transforming power, that sometimes things do have to break in order to move. And I have to cut before I cure in surgery. So I actually do think sometimes things have to change. Now, you do that with respect, with listening, and most of all, centered on equity, with love. And I think when you do it that way, the wild thing is everyone moves forward together. And that is what I am interested in as a professional has dedicated their entire life's work to the advancement of human safety and promotion of health. So that is Dr. Punch's 
philosophy going into this board. What's going to be your mindset and philosophy once you get really into the thick of this new position? Well, I, I, one, I want to comment on her statements. I don't know how anybody can disagree with that. That seemed to me to be a very wise statement, uh, especially with her emphasis on while you're trying to make progress, you do it in a respectful way that's loving of all those other people. I think that's uh, a wonderful statement. And uh, uh, I'm a careful incrementalist. I want to take those steps towards the goals we need to reach for that can be taken today. Do what can be done today to make the department better, always mindful of where we want to end up. So I may be inclined to take smaller steps than others, but steps that we can do that are concrete that can show improvement day to day. Are there any things you want to look at in the short term initially now that you're on the board? Uh, Not necessarily to change, but to look at initially? Are you focusing your energy into any particular direction? Well, the, the one thing I think we can do better is to be more accessible to the people. Right now we have our meetings uh, during the daytime when people are at work at police headquarters. Uh, I would like to ask the board, and of course I need two more votes to do anything. I can't just do things by myself. But I would like to ask the board to consider having our meetings at different locations and at different times, or at least to be more accessible to the people and to listen to them in their community. Because I think that had been one of the complaints of some people at, at county mm-hmm. council that the former police board was not accessible. And not only were they not accessible, when people came and aired their grievances, they seemed to be uncaring. I don't know whether that's true or not, because frankly, I never went to police board meetings. But I'm sure that you heard some of that type of feedback from the public. And I, I don't know. I, I There are certainly ways to be more I guess, empathetic, but there's also going to be instances where you're going to make decisions that are frankly not going to make people happy. So how do you balance the desire for openness with the reality that not all your decisions are going to be super popular with people? Well, that's that's a problem. You know, you just have to do that as carefully and thoughtfully as you can and to some extent as courageously as you can. Uh, You want to give people an opportunity to speak. You can't let them take over and manipulate a a meeting. Um, So there's no one thing you can say you will do that will achieve that, but that's something that's always got to be in your mind. I think that every person who was nominated for the police board was asked, are you going to vote to fire the current police chief, John Belmar? Uh, I think pretty much everybody said, like, no, I can't make that decision because it's impossible for me to make that decision without being on the board for a long time. That's what I remember you saying. I want to make yes. sure that I'm accurately. No, no that catching. is what I said. But I, I do think that there are people who saw the Wild Haver verdict who are very upset with the leadership of the, the county police department. But I think that even people that are upset want to maintain some philosophical distance between elected officials and this appointed board, which is supposed to maintain some independence from politics, even though there is a political aspect to the county executive appointing and the county council approving. It's a long-winded wind-up, but I want you to kind of explain kind of your philosophy toward this question of whether Belmar should stay or go. Uh, You know, that's a very important question. 
And uh, one of the things, as you said, I, I, I had spoken, I want to know more before I make an important decision like that. Uh, and, and some of the things I'm learning is that we have a very good police department in the county. The response times to calls are very low. The closure rates on crimes are very high. Everything you would judge a police department uh, by in terms of their performance as police officers is, is pretty good. To a large extent, that's because of his leadership. We do have an immediate problem. It's the gorilla in the, in the room. You can't avoid that. Uh, we'll have to consider everything. We'll have to do it thoughtfully. And, and Chief Belmar will need to be judged on his whole body of work as a police chief, not just on one incident. But that was still a very important incident. I, I want to sort of ask a related question, but slightly different, which is when you were being named or nominated for the police board, did you feel like County Executive Sam Page was giving you a mandate to shake up the leadership at the police department? Uh, uh, Dr. Page told me to do a good job. That's what he told me. Okay, so he, okay, didn't, he, he didn't tell you, I want some heads to roll. Sorry to use a euphemism. No, no, that's not the approach. The approach, I mean, and, and that's not the way he would talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, you know, he, 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 we've known one another. Uh, he told me he wanted me to do a good job and wanted me to use my experience. And uh, I, I tell you, I'm, I was reluctant to come back to public life. I was perfectly happy being out of it. I have spent my time. <laughs> Uh, doing that, but this was a job that was important, and uh, when he asked, I couldn't refuse. And I know this is kind of a wonky procedural question, but I think it's an important principle that I kind of alluded to earlier. The police board is a separate entity from elected government yes. in, in St. Louis County. It's not like that in the city. In the city, Mayor Lida Cruzen can fire the police chief if, if she wants to. Obviously, she has to ask cause. I'm not saying she could just do it because she's like mad at the police chief but that barrier does create like a lot more independence of the police department than if it was controlled by a political entity so i want you to kind of explain to our listeners why that would be important to how the police department functions from a day-to-day basis because again it may seem like procedural gobbledygook but i think it allows the police department to operate a lot differently than the city. Yeah, it's not procedurally gobbledygook. That's one of the most crucial things we can focus on. Uh, Elected politicians live by voters. They live by reaction to immediate things. When you're appointed to a board like this, I have nothing to get reelected to. Not a one of us do. Our job is to sit back and think and then to do what needs to be done over time. We have freedom that our elected politicians don't have to be able to make decisions, hopefully, in a more thoughtful, considerate way. I think it is a better way to do it, although other people favoring uh, having those officials subject to the whims of the voters at any given time. I mean, you know, the reasons for both ways, uh, I've always functioned in the other side of things. I... uh and although we can't talk about the Sergeant Wildhaber case, I was curious. It has raised a lot of questions about how LGBTQ people are treated in, in county government. And I was wondering if there – do you think the police department has the appropriate policies in place 
to make it a, uh, for lack of a better word, a welcoming work environment? Well, it has the policy. There's a general order that says there shall be no discrimination on the basis of race, religion, or sexual orientation. That's the policy. That's always been, or, well, I, I don't know how long that policy has been there, mm-hmm. but that's the policy. The challenge is to make sure it is enacted and carried out day to day by all people. That's the challenge. How do you do that? Well, we, uh, uh, the board before I came, I, I, you know, I, uh, the board before we came in was a good board as well, and they immediately uh, voted to have a commission come look at that. So uh, we'll have people with more experience than I do, uh, than I have, look at that and give us advice on how we try and do make those policies work day by day throughout the department. I think you're referring to they they hired an outside firm kind of to look at, yeah. at the police department. Yeah, I don't know that they've got that done yet, but it right. was voted that that should happen, and we're pushing that that happens sooner, not later. Is there anything else you want to share before we leave? Um i just like the people to know that uh, people who work in government, like me, do the best we can. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We can't get immediate results sometimes, but we do the best we can. And then I'd like to thank my law firm, Armstrong Teasdale, for letting me do this. All right. Well, normally we ask people where they can be found on the World Wide Web, um, but it's you're welcome to do that. I also recognize that you might not want you don't have a Twitter account, do you? No, I'm not a politician. I don't do that. <laughs> but, I, but I will say one of your former colleagues, uh, Michael Wolf, does have a Twitter account. But I think he was kind of in political the political world before he was a judge. So. Yeah, he ran for attorney general once. Yes. <laughs> Mike's more outgoing than I am. Well, that's fair enough. Well, Julie, you can find me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you on Twitter? <laughs> and you can find me at J.S. O'Donohue. You can read stories from Jason and I and all of our colleagues at stlpublicradio.org. Thanks so much for listening.